Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us here on the Cattleman's Call podcast. Lane Nordland, happy to have you with us as always. And today's report is coming from San Diego, California, and we're not even at a cattle event. We're broadcasting from the 2022 American Sheep Industry Association Convention. And you all may be thinking, Lane, what are you doing here today? It's Cattleman's Call. It's not the Sheep Herder's Call. Well, that's because uh, I'm covering this for my regular media job. But I'm actually joined by a cattle producer from the state of Colorado. But he is a leader on the national level with uh, the National Public Lands Council. That is our friend Mark Rober. Uh, He's VP of Public Lands Council. And, of course, uh, PLC represents cattle and sheep producers who graze on the nation's federal lands. But uh, first off, Mark, welcome to San Diego. Oh, thanks, Lane. Glad to be here. Good to see you. And uh, like you said, we do represent sheep also because we really represent the producers and the permittees that use public lands. So that is both cattle and sheep. And long tradition of, of the two industries working together on that front. So, well, at the end, end of the day, we, uh, we we grow grass and we like to harvest that grass with our livestock, and, and they play a key role in so many different aspects of uh, of uh, land stewardship and ecosystem health. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But, uh, Mark, first off, maybe just to introduce you to uh, our listeners out across uh, the nation. Well, let's just talk about your operation in Colorado, a little bit of the history about it, and, and why uh, why you're still one of the best businesses in the world, that being livestock production. Yeah, well, I consider us to be the best business in the world, livestock production, because we do take a natural resource and make food and fiber out of it. So uh, I think we have something to be proud of with the, being livestock producers, but my family came to Western Colorado uh, actually in the 1880s and on the ranch that I currently am now the fourth generation on. So we've run livestock for hundred what 130 years now I guess it is close to that on the same property and and we on the federal lands that originally were open lands we were there before there was a forest service. <laughs> they came in about 1905. So we've dealt with uh, public lands and federal or federal lands, whichever you want to call it, but uh, since the beginning. Uh, like I said, I'm fourth generation, and on our allotment, we uh, actually about 60% of it's in wilderness. <laughs> so we, <clears throat> in the 80s, uh, first started with 64 Act, then the 80 Act, they enlarged it. So we run a, quite a bit of, of uh, our allotment is west. It's in the West Elk Wilderness. Uh, we, that uh, has challenges, and also it has advantages. Uh, the challenges, of course, is it takes us uh, two hours just to get into where the cattle are a lot of the time because it's all by horseback. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand. It keeps a lot of the recreation traffic out because <clears throat> it is remote. So we don't deal with some of the recreation conflicts that other allotments do. But the one time of year that there is uh, a rush of recreation is during hunting season, mm-hmm. and especially in September. And that becomes uh, 
sometimes a real challenge. You can't keep cattle where you need to be. So, but that's kind of a, a brief history of where I'm at, and where where we what we do. Uh, we uh, personally, I've been involved with Public Lands Council since uh, the Rangeland Reform days, back in the early mid '90s. <coughs> was involved with Colorado Cattlemen's Association, went up, served on that board, went up through the ranks, was president in 2005-06, and uh, then went back to work for NCBA as federal lands chairman for two years in 2009-10. Came back over to the PLC side and was uh, put up through the officer chain in 2018, currently vice president. So that's kind of the personal history there. Well, it's a good history, and, and just to hear that your family's still in livestock production and uh, going strong, but uh, there's definitely challenges that come along with especially uh, taking that opportunity to graze on, on those public lands. And, you know, some of our listeners might come from states where it's just all private land. And this is a question I get asked a lot as I fly and travel the nation uh, reporting from all these different agriculture events is, why, why, why do these ranchers graze on public lands? Why, 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 they have their own land, and, and uh, why are they coming out here grazing on these lands? What, what, what is your response to someone that, that uh, just really maybe doesn't understand it? Maybe they read something that someone that disagrees with the role that, uh, that uh, public lands grazers play? You know, what are some of the talking points you share with them to, to really uh, head off that misinformation? Well, when you look back at when the federal lands were set aside with forest reserves and and, and later with uh, uh, BLM, you know, they were basically set aside with the promise of trying to stabilize a livestock industry to stabilize rural economies. And they still do that. And I mean, it, it, it works. And as you change that, uh, we're in the West, we're a little different than maybe back East with the amount of moisture we get. Mm-hmm. You're somewhat limited on the amount of feed that you can grow per acre. So without those federal land permits, most of these places don't really exist as viable ranches. They just become uh, part-time, small, extremely small uh, you know, hobbies. And so without those public lands, you really don't have a ranching industry in the West. And the, with, with that, for those rural economies, without those public land permits, you don't have a, a real stable economic base for all these rural communities. So it, it has to work hand in hand. Now, when we look at the actual allotment, whether that be through the Bureau of Land Management or through the U.S. Forest Service, you know, some people may be under the uh, uh, idea that these ranchers just graze it all year and that uh, it's free and whatnot, but maybe they don't understand all the work that you put into maintaining fence lines, the, the short amount of time that you have on that land, or it could be reduced that time depending on drought and, and other factors. Uh, do you want to shed a little light on, on just the actual grazing experience and, and what the actual protocols by law you must follow? Yeah, well, all your permits usually have a season of use, which d- dictates what time of year you're using it course weather also plays a factor in that 
and uh, so you don't it's not a year-round permit and uh, you know for our situation we we graze on public lands we've got it back up to about five and a half months but uh, we in that we the amount of labor that we put into it makes it extremely expensive in a lot of cases and uh, we don't have you don't pay taxes on it but with the labor that goes in the, into actually managing it and doing it correctly, uh, it's, you know, there's not a lot of difference between a private land cost and a public lands cost when you look at that. The biggest thing is, like in my state and throughout the West, is that there's no available private land to substitute it. So it is essential that you have the public lands to graze on if you're going to have the ranching industry because you can't, you can't replace them. Uh, you know, and at the same time, like Colorado, it's gotten to the point where land is so expensive, you don't pay for, you don't pay for a land uh, purchase with livestock. Mm-hmm. I mean, you better, you better have that money coming from somewhere else to pay for the land then you can run the livestock and maybe make it break even. But Well, and there's that uh, conversation about being a steward of the land and land management. And when livestock, whether that be cattle or sheep, come through these uh, grazing allotments, they're playing a key role in managing that land in a healthy way. And uh, wildfire is, is at the top of people's mind, specifically across the West. And, and we saw the wildfires that occurred in Colorado. And we understand that you can't stop fire, right. but you can help manage it. Let's just talk about the key role that livestock play in grazing uh, the, these public lands for the benefit of not only fuels reduction, but also for healthy habitat for wildlife. Oh, that, there's no question that that is uh, key to the whole solution. We, uh, on our allotment, we try and plan our grazing rotation to where we get in, we mow it off, much like you do your lawn, we move on, the regrowth comes back, it stays green. The regrowth is green. So that's reducing the fire risk for a longer period of time than if you just let it grow up because it it's going to turn brown quicker mm-hmm. and of course you get a lightning strike and then it's gone so the grazing within that <clears throat> it uh, it and of course then you can get into well that green is creating oxygen or oxygen and using co2 because it's growing so it's all science-based too and then of course there's the whole thing with the uh, animals foot action and disturbing that soil reseeding uh, making stronger root systems making the soil to where it takes water doesn't just run off so all those play a factor in the management of these public lands and that's something where the PLC is trying to get across to the general public that you know we are the solution grazing is good and we are a solution to a lot of these challenges that keep being raised about climate change and and uh, carbon emissions and all that is okay if you want to go say that's a problem we're part of the solution and you mentioned when when cattle or sheep come through and graze that uh, that uh, grass for a short period of time uh, when it comes hunting season 
specifically elk. They they love coming well, into that. They are they are no sprouts. different. They are no different than cattle and and sheep. And when that grass is green and tender and it's actually more nutritious in that stage, uh, that's where they're going to come. Mm-hmm. And you've got people that have figured that out and actually will move in. The people hunters will move in behind where the cows have been. That's where the wildlife comes. And, of course, you see that on private lands also. Now, when we talk about recreation, public lands are for the public. And they are public lands. And, uh, and the PLC members understand that. So when we look at recreation and livestock's role in that, how do we have more open conversations to, to really move forward and, and utilize these public lands to full ability? Yeah, well, I think we have to come together. And, uh, you know, we believe in the multiple use doctrine that all uses can be there. And when you start going to a singular use, something's going to suffer. The biggest thing with most recreation is we haven't figured out how, if it's only recreation, how do you regenerate what we were talking about before? How do the plants regenerate themselves if they're not eaten off, if the soil is not disturbed, and there's a big difference between a, a rubber tire running over the soil and a cattle hoof. Mm-hmm. I mean, the indentation in the soil holds moisture. That flat surface, the moisture runs. So there's a lot of there's a lot of give and take there. And I think we have to educate people to the point of uh, you know, too much of anything is bad. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whether it's people-oriented or whether it's livestock-oriented, if you can, overdo it. So we have to try and, and educate people to work together and do put the resource first. And that's going to take livestock to do that and because uh, that, that's the only way you can manage it to where you get a lot of those actions we talked about done. So they have to be able to uh, accept the fact that they can't just have the run of the land all the time. I think there's there's uh, ways of education and use that you know they can have they can have their run for a period of time during the year when the livestock aren't there. They don't have to all be there together at the same time because that's where the conflicts arise. Gates being left open, livestock not being where they're supposed to be. Uh, a friend of mine has an allotment that had all the campers camped at his water tanks, wouldn't let the livestock in. Mm-hmm. I mean, that became a problem. So they're working on solutions, and uh, we will continue continue to work on uh, those. But it is a coming together of people. Yep. Well, and I think one of the first experiences that, that I saw of like in Montana where I'm from, we, we see it especially during hunting season and so many out-of-state hunters are coming in nowadays and, and they'll come onto the public lands and uh, they'll camp and they'll leave their toilet paper everywhere, they'll leave their wood. I mean, it's it's truly disturbing to see that and, and you would hope that the BLM Rangers were up there managing that a little more, but I know they're spread thin. But uh, when we were down at the PLC's 50th meeting in Park City and went on a range tour, I think, I, I don't know which way we were out of town there, but we were on, a, on an allotment, and it was that really sandy kind of soil up there. And I, all the people that were on their four-wheelers, 
behind other people on four-wheelers just eating each other's dust, and there was hundreds of them up there. And that just blew my mind to see that so many people want to get out of the city. They go right. over the hill to Park City. Right. They go out in four-wheel. And I'm like, there was more damage and erosion there oh, yeah. from, from those uh, off-road vehicles than anything. And people were just pulling their campers off the trail. And that really opened my eyes to what how a higher... Uh, population density, the impact they have on the public land resources as well, compared to even Montana. I think we're overrun as it is up there. <laughs> but just to see probably what you go through in Colorado, and again, like I said, it's there. It's an it's public lands. It's, right. it's multi-use. It's right. people getting out and enjoying it. But <laughs> when I hear that argument that cattle have a negative impact on the environment, and you see that, that's right. It's very frustrating. But again, it's all about having that open dialogue yeah. and discussion. Yeah, and it, it's a bad, you know, getting the recreation is to care about the resource mm-hmm. because it really is education process. And most of them, and it tends to be people in general, I think, most of us think only about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for a long time, the I think the grazers thought, well, nobody else should be here. This is This is like mine. But it is public land. Yep. And the multiple-use theory will work if we all make it work. And that's what it's really going to take. You know, we mentioned recreation, and and there literally can be some frustrations between outdoor enthusiasts, hunters, and ranchers, and there really shouldn't be. And you being in Colorado, like one of the big issues right now, and and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is just the efforts to end uh, mountain lion management or hunting. And outdoor groups and hunters they're they're frustrated with that they want to be able to to help manage those predators and ranchers (laughs) definitely want those managed as well right and that's where agriculture advocates and outdoor and hunting advocates can actually come together and advocate on that together and, and not be on facebook or instagram trashing each other I see that as a great way to work together and step forward. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I totally agree with you. I think it's, you know, the opportunities there for groups to come together and form coalitions and, and figure out a correct way to do it. But uh, I don't think, you know, it's kind of a ideological feeling out there that if you just took man out of the equation, everything would be fine. Well, I, I don't want to go that route. I think we have to uh, learn how to manage ourselves and uh, with nature and make it make it all better for all of us. But uh, these uh, major predators like mountain lion, now Colorado is getting wolves. We've actually got some wolves that have migrated down from Wyoming. And in the past month, we've already had uh, two livestock kills and one border collie on one pack of wolves in mm-hmm. northern Colorado, and uh, they're talking about reintroducing more. So we got to figure out what what is the proper way of managing to where you have, you can have everything, but there's got to be management that goes along with it. And uh, the mountain lion, you know, there was a time, people don't know this, but the the Colorado Parks and Wildlife put a bounty on mountain lions. It wasn't the livestock people. The fish and game did that to try and bring the deer herd back because yep. the deer herd was decimated. Mm-hmm. And so they probably went too far and they 
killed all the mountain lions, and then we had overrun deer herds in the 40s and 50s. <laughs> but it, it seems like we don't look back at our history sometimes and try and, and figure out, well, maybe we did this too much. Let's try and find some middle ground here. And uh, I think we got to come to come to that conclusion on these major predators like mountain lion. But uh, the the effects it would have, was not withstanding on uh, uh, livestock. Like I said, at one time, the deer population was pretty much nil in mm-hmm. Colorado until they took the mountain lions back. Did you ever go to the Sip and Dip when you were in Great Falls for the PLC? Uh, yeah, I made it there once. The air motor uh, yeah, and So yeah, if our, yeah. our listeners have ever been to the most famous tiki lounge in, yeah. in the in the world, the Sip and Dip Lounge located at the O'Hare Motor Inn. Uh, Great Falls was everyone's really on on edge because there's been like two different mountain lions just roaming the city oh, yeah. and so one one of the yeah. images was a mountain lion in the upper parking lot right outside <laughs> the sip and dip lounge and everyone wants to go see those mermaids swimming sure you know? sure so it was a mountain lion yeah so the <laughs> mountain, mountain lion wanted to check out all the entertainment there at the sip and dip lounge and hey and if you want some grizzly bears we could send them down from uh, montana that's, a, that's you know? okay you can, you can keep them I'm, I'm sure we'll have a pretty soon anyway <laughs> But, you know, we talk about management, and just last week, uh, USDA and USDA's Forest Service announced that they were going to invest uh, around $3 billion into uh, forest management to help curb uh, the catastrophic wildfires. And like I said at the beginning of this conversation, fire's going to happen, but the severity, uh, its impact, that can be managed as as well. What, what are your thoughts as we look at this? Obviously management especially in wilderness areas has <laughs> is so hard to do because right. you can't touch them right. what 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 are your thoughts and what is plc's view on on looking at uh, the biden administration trying to look at more management dollars and, and looking at priority areas across the west because there's not just one area it's oh the no west. it's it's the entire west and of course i'm sure that uh, when the priority comes out. Targeted grazing, we fully support. I think that's a way of management that, that uh, can help with catastrophic fires and at least maybe keep them from being catastrophic. And as, as thinning projects, uh, prescribe fire. Bring fire into the equation, but do it to where you have control of it. So all those, you know, we're totally in favor of and we will continue to promote them. Uh, the wilderness areas, I think, you know, like you said, uh, we don't really need more of them because that's kind of the contrary. But we also need at the same time, and this is probably speaking from a personal bias, but uh, we have to keep grazing in those wilderness areas yep. to have some form of management. I don't think we need, uh, you know, millions and millions of acres that just, oh, we let nature take care of itself because we're actually seeing uh, secession take place in that wilderness area that I'm in that is it'll burn someday oh, yeah. because the it's trees, a box. the trees are dying and uh, <clears throat> and actually you know it's getting harder and harder to do what we do just because of the down timber yeah and, especially when and, you're horseback and yeah. having to jump logs well and the cattle and even the elk I've been in places where the elk would not go into because they couldn't get around. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like miniature 10-foot corrals everywhere. Yeah. 
So. Well, and, and when we look, you, you mentioned it, it'll take sometimes two, three hours just to get to your cows yeah. in these wilderness areas. Try being a firefighter. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah. You're not going to get there no. to manage it. No. And when they say, well, we're just going to let it burn, that's, that's kind of just have to. That, that's the only choice they have. And I mean, it's, and then you look at the <clears throat> how it comes back. I mean, it'll, the one thing constant about resources and Mother Nature is, you know, it changes over time. Nothing stays the same. <laughs> so people have to get that through their head. Now, one thing also about public lands is it, it does prevent urban sprawl and development. Correct. And especially in Colorado, we've just seen the expansion of uh, urban sprawl into agriculture areas, ag land getting sold off, subdivided, and that's happening across the West. Montana, right. the last 20 years, it, it's just so disappointing to see that. So there is that other area where recreationists and cattle producers, sheep producers also come together is we're, we're keeping this land open. That's exactly right. And actually in Colorado, it was a movement oh, 25 years ago, but it was uh, cows, not condos. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we kind of used that as uh, when the rangeland reform came around, that became kind of a motto is you know, cows versus condos, because this is keeping open space. And this is these ranches, a lot of them, and I know in Montana is the same way, uh, you know, that picturesque view that these people have from the highway or from town, well, there's a reason that that's there. And if it was all, we've seen the East Slope of Colorado go that route, it all became houses. Yep. And uh, recently it was about 900 less in the big fire. But, yep. Uh, so it's that trying to find that middle ground of, you know, one leads to the other. If you want that open space and you want it healthy, it's going to take livestock and ranchers to do that. And again, it all comes down to to telling a story, and PLC does a great job on Capitol Hill engaging with elected and appointed officials and and their leadership, engaging with uh, other industry stakeholder groups as well, but also just engaging with the public. As you said, it's so important to have that open dialogue. Um, What, what, uh, I guess, what are your thoughts on the future of agriculture and uh, having that opportunity to uh, have be a part of that multi-use model uh where do you hope to see things continue on or what are your what are your what's your hope for that next generation of ag producers in the multi-use model well i hope they uh learn how important is collaborations and and trying to form these uh partners are and quicker than what we did let's let's put it that way and uh and will continue with maybe what we start and and have a easier time of making those transitions to uh, to try and work together to do what's right for the resource and not necessarily the such a narrow focus of today let's, let's look a little more towards the future yep. so you know as we move on here through the first second months of uh 2022 how are you feeling as a as a cattle producer what what's your feeling have you guys got a little bit of moisture a little, little bit of optimism yeah we are you know we're about a hundred percent better than we were a year ago let's put it that way we got a lot of we got quite a bit of fall moisture which got that ground 
to take moisture and kind of get a start to it. And we've gotten some snow. Uh, actually, our basin, I think, is sitting at 150%. I don't know that that's, uh, that may be more isolated than what a lot of people think, but, uh, but I'm optimistic. It's going to be better than it was last year. And, uh, of course, the cattle market looks like it could be better, too. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> so I'm still optimistic, and maybe that's – maybe my family has been that way for a long time. That's why we've <laughs> been there that way. There's always next year. <laughs> and, uh, and, and on the political front with Public Lands Council, I'm the same way. I'm optimistic that we are making a little headway on some of our issues. And I, I look forward to the challenges ahead, but uh, I think we're, we're plugging along. You know, like I told them today in the meeting, we keep on keeping on. And uh, even with COVID and the, no face-to-face meetings and all that, we find a way to get it done, And uh, which is ranching in general. You know, my, I'm kind of like the Marine Corps motto of the improvise, adapt, and overcome. <laughs> that's what keeps me going every yep. day. So that's where we're at. Well, again, Mark, thanks for joining us here today from the American Sheep Industry Association Annual Convention. And uh, we look forward to seeing everyone down in Houston, Texas, there the first week of February for Cattle Industry Convention 2022 and that uh, impressive NCBA trade show. And uh, Again, uh, if you listen to this later on in 2022 or a few years down the road, uh, thanks for tuning in. But uh, we'll still be battling these, these issues for, for years to come. But uh, hopefully we, we uh, continue to make progress and uh, have, have better outlooks on, on, on all things in agriculture. Hopefully so. Thanks, Lane. Thank you. Mark Rover joining us, VP of the Public Lands Council from the great state of Colorado. Again, thank you for joining us here today. For more on the Public Lands Council, visit them online. And again, I'm Lane Nordland here on the Cattleman's Call podcast. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.